Once again to the Dark Discussions News Network. Uh, this is uh, either Dark Discussions Podcast or the Halloween Boutique Psychotronic Reviews Podcast. We're not sure yet where we're going to drop it, but it'll be on the same feed. I'm one of your co-hosts, Philip, from the state of New Hampshire in the U.S. of A. And with me in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Hey, this is Barrett. Barrett, how's it going? Going well. Excellent. And in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Johnny Noel, how are you? Johnny, how are you? Good, thank you. And in the province of... Alberta? The ginger wildling is back. Woohoo! Woo! <laughs> Good to see you. All right, so uh, we got a, actually a, a special uh, episode tonight because we have our, our guest and uh, actually our, our um, very happy with this guest because uh, the film that we, we uh, reviewed. Uh, was pretty damn good. So uh, why don't we introduce him, or actually, why don't you introduce yourself, guest? Sure. I'm, I'm Matt McManus. I'm one half of the McManus brothers. We uh, wrote and directed the film The Black Island Sound, which you guys had kindly reviewed. Uh, and we've done a few other things. We worked on American Vandal and Cobra Kai and a bunch of TV stuff. But huh. our heart's always been very much in you know horror and thrillers and suspense. And so it's exciting to be able to go back home and make a little grounded sci-fi you know horror film and so uh i'm just excited to talk to you guys and i can continue on or whatever <laughs> it feel, i'm wondering if phil's there phil dropped out oh did he lose you for that you know, i'm still here you hear me Oh, yeah. Yeah. There you yeah. Go. yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'm not sure what happened there. Uh, <laughs> excellent. So uh, we we have we have a uh, yeah. Uh, uh, are you originally from New England? Uh, were you born and raised in New England? Yeah, I grew up in Rhode Island. Uh, big old Irish Catholic family in Rhode Island, and we've shot most of our movies getting back there whenever we can to shoot stuff. I mean, there's something I don't know. There's something about that place, man. That it just it, it sparks a lot of creativity, a lot of big ideas, and I, I just miss it there so much. So, yeah, we grew up in Rhode Island, spent a long time there, spent some time in college in Boston. But we've been out in L.A. for the last uh, 12 years now, and, uh, yeah. All right, very good. Uh, so uh, the film uh, that uh, we had you come on to talk about, uh, the Bark Island Sound, um, it was actually, it says 2020 on IMDb, but but it was released everywhere or I should say, at least on Netflix, uh, for everybody to see 2021. Um, and uh, I guess we can go around and ask some questions about the film. Uh, so, Barrett, what do you got? Uh, I wanted to find out where the idea for the film came from. You know, when we were in college, we were making this little sort of movie that was like a zombie flick, and we had no money. We are trying to figure out how the heck we're going to do this thing. And it finally popped into somebody's head that, if we shot on Block Island over the winter, nobody's there, right? It's just all these boarded up houses and shops. And we're like, well, that kind of looks like a post-apocalyptic, you know, war zone with the right smoke effects and stuff. And so we went to Block Island in the middle of winter. We've been there for summers and stuff. And it's a super fun place. But over the winter, it's it's like you're stepping into like a Stephen King world, right? It's just like spooky, chilling, empty place. It's stark and, and really beautiful. You get these like, cliffs we shot near that are just you know 
it's the whole place is so picturesque and there's just something about it over the winter that is sort of ominous in, in its darkness. And after we shot this movie, I think Kevin and I both just had it in us. So we're like, I don't think we're done with this place. We've got to go shoot something there again. And so I think that really was sort of the, the germ of the idea that's been kind of in the back of our minds for forever. And, and eventually, you know, you follow that all the way and then they come up with the, the black island sound. Yeah. So that's actually a really good idea and good points you make because uh, off season, there's only like a thousand people that live on the Island first to say the summer when it's like wall to wall people. Uh, yeah. But, uh, I can, I, I can see exactly what you're saying. Uh, John. And the only people got- that are left are these like, you know, salt of the earth people who are just these like, I don't know, everybody that I've met who, like, lives on Block Island are just a special breed of person. I just love them all. They've got great stories. And it's just, like, uh, each one of them is a character that belongs on screen, you know? And so you just can't help but be like, i got to tell some story about these folks. And, yeah, it was a thrill to actually get to do it. Uh, Johnny, what do you got? Uh, Well, uh, how about what were some of the challenges of filming uh, on that location, the remoteness and maybe uh, weather challenges or the... I don't know, the moisture in the air or something. Those are the kind of things that came to my mind. I don't know if that's a decent question or not, but I was really wondering that. Yeah, no, I mean, it totally is. I mean, it's it's a crazy challenge. The one, I mean, the tough thing, right, is like, obviously we want to shoot it over the winter because that's the whole, the backbone of the whole story. But if you shoot in January, you're going to freeze to death, right? You're on a boat. And, and honestly, there's no fucking boats out in the ocean, right? So it's such a challenge. So what we ended up doing is we shot in April into May, and classic New England, in the beginning of it, everybody's freezing their asses off. And by the end of it, we're all sweating our asses off. I mean, it just switched like a dime. And all of a sudden, and things are starting to bloom. And we're like, well, shit, this isn't going to work. Because all of a sudden, these bushes are full of flowers. And we've got to have it still look like it's stark in the middle of winter. Uh, so it was definitely posed a, a challenge. Um, we ended up shooting a lot of the movie in Cape Cod. Uh it was one of the other things that we did to try to like mitigate like how complicated it would be to shoot actually on the island. We had this one house we had in mind and we were talking to a guy who owned it and he was a, he's like a, a, a grip and electric. He works on film sets all the time. And he was telling us, he's like, you know, you could shoot here, but I've got one outlet for the whole house and you'd be able to, you know, plug in one light and that's it before breaking the fuse. Right. And so it became pretty clear to us like, holy shit, this is going to be impossible to shoot on the island the whole time. So Cape Cod is a pretty good double for Block Island. So we shot, you know, the interiors of the house and a lot of different little moments. And we shot as much as we could on Block Island, all the drone shots and the car stuff. And there's a few other scenes that we shot uh, on Block Island itself. But it's tough, man, because everything's, you know, you got to get everything onto a ferry and uh, everything is shut down over the winter. So it was a complicated, complicated thing to try to figure out. And you know, shooting as much as we could in Cape Cod and shooting some other stuff in like mainland Rhode Island definitely like they saved our asses in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Where in Cape Cod did you um, yeah. film that? We shot in That's West right. Dennis for all of the interior house stuff and some of the beach stuff. And then we shot in Falmouth for uh, all the boat stuff. So one of the, I mean, the, the stupid thing about this was we were like, you know, obviously we were shooting a lot of it on a lobster boat. Uh, and then as we're looking around for boats, I've got my cousin, Peter, who's a producer on the film, and he knows a bunch of people in that community. And he starts asking people for boats, and everybody's like, I'm not going to have my boat in in the beginning of April. Are you nuts? And so you have to start scraping around to try to find the right boat. And you want the boat to feel like a real lobster boat. You don't want it to look like some, you know, yuppie fishing boat. It just wouldn't work. Uh, and so he finally found the right boat, and they're willing to kind of 
get the boat ready uh, before the season really began. We're so lucky to have that. And they were like, we can shoot it in Falmouth. And he had another buddy who had a dock in Falmouth. So we're able to make it all work. Uh, and Falmouth is a really beautiful place. And so we started shooting everything with the boat and we're stoked, but it's one of the only boats in the water. And then when we actually started shooting one of these scenes, we pull it up to this mooring where we're going to shoot a lot of this stuff. And one of my producers comes up to me and they say, I, I got terrible news. The boat doesn't run. And I was like, what are you talking about? I mean, half of this thing we're like <laughs> in the middle of the sound, we, the boat's got to run. And he goes, yeah, well, something happened. The, the fuel line got pinched. We don't know what to do. Should we find a new boat? And I was like, there are no other boats. We, we, <laughs> we got to shoot with this. And so one of our other producers, one of our executive producers, Daryl, is this guy who's like a total unicorn. He's one of those guys who just like comes up with solutions, fixes everything. He used to be in the military and now he's living in the middle of Las Vegas. He lives nowhere near, you know, an ocean. And he gets onto that boat and we're in the middle of takes. We're like, all right, like just trying to get the next one off. All of a sudden, Daryl's on there and he's like MacGyvering this, you know, engine. And I'm like, dude, what are you doing right now? And he's like, I got it. I got it. And it's only 15 minutes later. He flips the switch, puts on the throttle. The thing's running like brand new. I don't, I don't know how he did, it, but he fixed the thing and saved the day. So something wow. from above. <laughs> That's exactly. What it was. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Um, now, now, uh, uh, speaking of uh, something from above, and and basically with the IMDb, this thing lurks off the coast of uh, Block Island. Um, I, I had a question for you: is is um, the scenes that make it people think that it's going to be an environmental horror film, uh, similar to maybe um, The Bay from a few years back. Uh, then other people were thinking that maybe it would be like a, a Lovecraft Cthulhu thing, because again, that's Rhode Island and whatnot. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> but then it turns out to be um, a, a different uh, uh, quote unquote monster. And uh, my preference, my favorite monster. Um, what, what made you guys decide to make, I guess, uh, I don't want to spoil it. So, uh, a science fiction film, in a sense. Well, I mean, if we can, we spoil it. Can we talk about it, or will, will that ruin it for? I mean, yeah, I guess yeah, sure, please do. Fast. But if we, this is a little rip. It's so much easier yeah. to talk about because when I talk around it, it always becomes complicated. Yeah. But the real, I mean, the premise of the movie was one of the first germs of the idea. Of course, was Black Island, right? But then also, uh, a friend of mine was saying that he was hoping that the new wave of horror films would be really grounded alien movies. And I was like, oh, shit, do I want to watch that? Yeah. That sounds great. Because I love alien movies. But they're always so big in scale. And I'm like, I don't know, I want to see how it affects people. Like, Signs was such a big deal to me growing up. And I was like, oh, I want to make that kind of a movie, right? Yeah. Uh, and so it became this kind of thing where it was like, well, what would an abduction be like? How would that actually affect people? And that was the, the beginning as we were kind of brainstorming the idea. And then eventually it hit us that it just play. I just thought it'd be more exciting if it was a mystery of what genre you're even in, like what is out there. And you have all the pieces that are tropes of the genre, right? All of these, those are your clues. And by the end, when you realize it is, you can hopefully go back and go, Oh, all of those pieces were pointing us towards this, this genre, you know? And so that was kind of the exciting game of, of the movie. And I, I think that's why we want to do it. And I, I mean, I'm like you, man. I'm a total sucker for alien movies. Like, I just can't get enough of that shit. So it was just exciting to do ours, you know. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, Sean, what do you got? Well, you took some of my thunder there, Phil, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> I was going to say that, like, one of the things, because I didn't know much about it going in, and Phil was kind of giving me a little bit of a breakdown about it. And uh, the thing that I really absolutely loved about it was the managing of expectations 
and how you guys were able to do that throughout the whole narrative of the story and just play with it. And so like, and I, one of the things I was, was it you who came up with the idea of the conspiracy guy being able to be part of that or to feed into that? Or how did that character, for instance, come about? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny because the conspiracy guy is sort of a trope of the genre. And when we're writing, you need to have somebody who's giving you some breadcrumbs where you can kind of put the piece together. And of course we're directing you towards, okay, is this going to be a sea creature movie or something? Right. You know, like in the beginning, it feels like maybe he's feeding somebody and eventually you got to realize, no, he's bringing them things to, to sample and, and experiment with. Right. Uh, but you need somebody to kind of start helping you walk through those things. And one of my favorite characters in all of these alien movies is, is a conspiracy theorist who who knows what's up. And so when we're writing it, you know, I'm sitting there, I'm like, we might get dinged for this. This is a bit of a trope, but I like this trope. And so I just, I kind of want to have my version of it in this film. And the crazy thing is that after making the movie, you know, the conspiracy theories have hit a fever pitch in the last few years. And all of a sudden there's like, holy shit, this is relevant as fuck. <laughs> there's so many people who believe all of these things. And this isn't just a trope. This is, I mean, uh, every other person you run into, right? So yeah, it was one of those funny things. And then Jim Cummings just brought such a an energy to the part and, and his own twist on it, which I just so appreciated. And he's just such a fucking fun guy. Like whenever you see him perform, he's sort of like a you know, he's like he's like a wild horse and you're just like trying to hold on, right? He's just doing his thing and you're like, Holy shit, this is crazy. And we just gotta like, you know, uh I just you know, you're you're along for the ride so often when Jim is doing his thing, which makes you know being on set really fun. Uh, Barrett, what do you got? I noticed that the leading lady's last name is McManus and that um, she's from Rhode Island. And I've seen her in a lot of stuff. Uh, what is the relation? She's our sister, yeah. yeah. We've got three big sisters and she's the closest in age of us. And when we were little kids, we used to make movies in Michaela, uh, like our first couple movies. And so our first movie we made with her, I was like 11 or 12 and she was like 15. Uh, it was called A Bloodthirsty Killer. And it was uh, <laughs> as intense as you can imagine. Uh, I mean, it's like everything in the kitchen sink. It's like part witch movie, part serial killer movie. Like her therapist ends up becoming the killer. None of it makes sense, but it's <laughs> we're very proud of it at the time. And she hasn't really starred in one of our movies since, but she went out and made her own career and has been in a gazillion TV shows and uh, really paved the way for us. And so finally, it was exciting to be like, let's go back home and. And, and do this professionally. And that was honestly the highlight of the whole movie for me was getting still to do that with her. It was really exciting. That's cool. Thank you. Johnny, what do you got? Um, so when the, when the movie first started, I, for a second, I was like, is, is that Kevin James? Cause I thought Neville looked like Kevin James. I, am I crazy? And then I guess my real question is, <laughs> how'd you find Neville? Because he, I thought he was freaking awesome. Absolutely awesome. Agreed. He's, the greatest right and he's just so my editor pokes fun at us because he's been in a few of our things and he says like i think neville is your muse and i'm like yeah i think you're right i want to put this guy in fucking everything i do because he's he i mean he's just got such a presence on screen right he's one of those guys that like i don't know he's the sweetest guy in real life but he's got this well deep inside of him that he can pull on to just bring this like real terror to the screen uh which is such a fucking thrill and so I just want to put him in everything. And then he has this vulnerability in his eyes when he does these things too, where you're like, oh my God, this guy's just a scary monster. And then he shows this, this softer, almost empathetic side to him 
and 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 that's just when he really sings. So that's when he's at his best. And so with this movie, we had worked on a movie called Thirteen Cameras, where he is very much this just like scary creature. He's a landlord who's spying on his tenants, and you know, and, and things go horribly awry. And he's just a horror show on his own. And then we were like, but he's got such empathy to him. I just really am dying to see that side of him too. And so it gave us the opportunity. Originally, his character wasn't really a big part of the first act, you know, where you're seeing this fatherly figure that you eventually lose. Originally, it was just like right out the gate, he's missing uh, and you never really get to meet him. And we're like, no, let's let's see that side of Neville because he's got it in him. And so it was so sweet when he first came on the set and he's doing his scenes with Chris where he's playing the loving dad. You know, he's kind of climbing into bed and, and Chris is tucking him in uh, or Harry's like character name. And uh, and as he's tucking him in, uh, Neville starts doing this kind of like, all right, yeah, yeah, get out of here. You know, he's doing this like scary guy's voice. And we're like, wait, wait, no, Neville, we want you to be you in this moment. You're not the scary guy yet. And he's like, oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, you want me to be, all right. And we're like, yeah, you're a good dad. He, your son loves you. And he's like, all right. And like, all of a sudden he just blooms and he's his sweet, normal self in those moments. I think that was just super exciting to finally see him kind of get to do both things. He brings the terror, but he also brings that that sweet, kind side to himself that we've grown to love so much. Yeah, it's it's interesting that you say that because the part when he's um he's filling the water container and he's like staring you know out the window and it's kind of like terrifying, and then all of a sudden <laughs> the daughter's like dad and he's like yeah babe, and he just went from like being scary as hell to like you know, to like, like you said, empathetic. It was like, I thought it was pretty brilliant. I love that part. That That's totally who he is in a nutshell. Like when we were on set for 13 cameras, he's got this scene where it's a scene between him and his tenant who's pregnant. Uh, and he kind of unsolicited grabs her belly and, and feels a whole belly and has this really scary fucking scene where he's trying to guess what the gender of the baby is, but it feels like something more is going on. It's incredibly creepy when you're watching it behind the camera. And you're like, oh God, my skin is crawling. And then, you know, the scene would end and all of a sudden he'd just snap out of it and he'd be like, hey, so what part of LA are you from? Oh, that's great. And you got to, oh, oh, your husband sounds like a really good guy. And all of a sudden he's just trying to make everybody, you know, at ease. He just snaps on a dime and his, his normal self. And yeah, that's that's what you see in that scene. Right? He's terrifying ogre of a guy and then all of a sudden he snaps out of it, but he's just sweet, friendly Neville. <laughs> uh, now, I, I had a question. Um, obviously, uh, these folks are very land wealthy because uh, just having the property they do, it was worth little when it was probably uh, got, uh, uh, received in their family generations ago, but now it's worth you know millions of dollars just for the fact it's Block Island. But um, I was curious if your film, uh, even, even though you had the idea to use Block Island and whatnot, I was curious if forgotten people of of the united states which are a poor white folk or, or working class white folk i was curious if you were intentionally trying to uh make a, a statement on on um that group of people how they're forgotten how their voice isn't isn't heard because every because in other words the monsters and and the worries that these people have the officers even the the, the wealthy daughter in new york look at them as as like crazies or um, quote unquote white trash or trailer trash as, as, as the New York daughter says. And I was curious if, if that was like an underlying feature that you wanted to make a statement on, on I guess, class uh, and the forgotten folk. You know, in a, in a way, I think it, it's really 
Harry's character was the one that I uh, was really interested about, like kind of doing the deep dive into. And and he is inspired by a few people that I know. But I think in a lot of ways, it's it's slightly more personal than that. The idea of like about the the son or the daughter who stays with the family who, you know, people think they're just a layabout. People think they're just like, oh, this person just doesn't really is just living off of mom and dad's dime. But this person feels like, no, I'm actually helping this person and I'm giving a companionship. And, uh, and that, that's a complicated tightrope to walk, right? Cause everybody thinks you're just, uh, a loser staying at home. And meanwhile, you know, Harry gives a shit about his dad and he's trying to be there for him and he feels responsible for, him, you know, and that just feels like so often that, that character is sort of a caricature but and but it's not always told like a certain amount of love and a certain amount of like who who is this person really like uh, and and so I think that's what it was you know um, for us we just wanted to do that deep dive and just see what that sibling relationship can be like it, it can be just really hard when siblings lose their last parent uh, and I saw that in the generation above me we we're a super tight knit family and my grandmother died and then there's this like really big shakeup. And I was a teenager at the time and it was really disillusioning and it broke my heart and it was confusing. And you realize like nobody can really make sense of it. Uh, it's just this heartbreaking thing that happens. And, and it just, it's one of those things that feels sort of like inevitable and uncontrollable. And, and to me, that's, that's the heart of the movie for me. That at least that's the thing that we were trying to explore and think about. Um, and that's, I think that's what I love about, that's what I love about Audrey's character too, right? Is she's kind of the one who's trying to take over that space, who's trying to be the parent for everybody else, bring everybody back together, you know, and and squash all the problems. And sometimes that job is too big of a job for one person. And, you know, she pays for it and her daughter is in peril because of it. And, you know, it causes a lot of problems. So anyway, so there's just a lot of those big kind of thoughts of, of, uh, of just the perils of being in a family and, and how these big transitions and shakeups can, uh, how much damage they can do and how hard they can be to get through. I think that was the thing that we were mostly kind of thinking about. Indeed. And it's, uh, the, the policeman says to, uh, Harry, uh, when he, when he says, you, you know, we, they bailed you out and he goes, which sister? And he says the, the good sister, which is, which is <laughs> Audrey, the one that, like you said, is trying to, to keep the family together, which is, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, Sean, what do you yeah, I do too. Sean, what do you got? <laughs> uh, I was just going to uh, kind of look at the aspect of mental health that was addressed too in the, the with the characters, and it was. I really liked the fact that it wasn't played off for laughs or kind of minimalized as it can be in in stories. And was that something that was uh, a consideration as part of the the filming in the story as well, or did you have anything in regards to mental health? in your own experiences that helped kind of tell the story? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely inspired by, by somebody for us. And, and I think it's one of those things that, you know, it's the, for Harry, it's, it's like this, it's like keeping this secret, like this thing that this fear of, Oh my God, is this thing happening to me? And, and I can't tell anybody. Uh, it's just so heartbreaking to me, you know, when you don't feel like you've got the space to be able to talk about it. And that's just, that's just the way it feels like our culture is right now. It, 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 we're getting better at it, but it, it, it's a really hard thing to be able to admit, you know? Um, and I think especially as a, as a guy, 
And and so I think Harry's really struggling with that. And not only that, but the guilt of seeing it in his dad and keeping the secret for his dad and then feeling responsible for not doing something about it and not. And so he's in that horrible spot of could he have done more and he doesn't want to share it for himself. And it's just that horrible cycle. Uh, yeah. And it's something that, yeah, we wanted to, to examine and think about and because it is this like heart wrenching thing and you, and you wish that it wasn't so, uh, so taboo to talk about. And so, so hard for, for people to open up about, you know? And so, yeah, so, so it was an important thing for us to definitely, uh, to examine, I think in this film. Well, it was well done. So thank you. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Uh, Barrett, what do you got? So there's a lot of ambiguity in this film and what's in, you know, what is real and what is not real. But I have a question. When that okay. guy says that he killed his dad, did that actually happen? Uh-huh. The, uh, we had a big like the, discussion the about it. That's why I'm asking. <laughs> when you talk, you're talking about like when like the, the guy at the bar is like, hey, man, he probably killed his dad for a two million dollar house or whatever kind of a thing. Right. Yeah. Oh, you're saying the conversation itself that he overhears. Yeah. What is that actually yeah. Happen? Was that yeah. actually yeah. happening or did he just imagine that and then punch the guy in the face? It, in my in my mind, at least, I I think it happened. I, it's and to me, it's not like a Shutter <laughs> Island, like, uh, you know, unreliable narrator story. It's it's more of like you're seeing these things. These things are happening. And, then, and what do they all actually kind of mean and line up to? And I think hopefully most of those pieces worked. Uh, but then it's funny. Some pieces you, you put together and you're like, okay, I think this makes sense. And then it comes out and everybody interprets it differently. And you're like, ah, shit, we fucked that one up. <laughs> you know? So it's kind of a, you know, it's, you know, I should say, oh, it's all in his head because it saves me a little bit, but it's, it's not. <laughs> no, I like that. I, I like to know that because we had a big discussion about it and that's good to know that answer because yeah, that me and you seemed- Barrett. We're, yeah. we're saying that that it was real, right? Yeah, I said yeah. it was real. Yeah. 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 For sure. I mean, I guess the only part of the movie where it's not real is when he has his dream, right? Where he's like, okay, oh, yeah. line and he's drawing on his map, and then he he pukes up those worms. It's right. sort of obviously to demonstrate there's some kind of parasite or something in it, but all of that is, you know, obviously his dream, and he wakes up and sees the puke all over his his. You know, fill up right. Well, and even when he sees his his father, um, they yeah, he's not sure. there, but the aliens are are obviously putting him there to try to convince him to you know control him and so forth. So, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, John, what do you got? Uh, I'm just a fan of the obscure and uh, attention to detail. So this is going to seem like a very obscure and attention to detail question. Oh, let's, let's get into um, it. Yeah. When the two, when the two <laughs> cops walk over the sand dune. And one of the cops lapel is like is flapping in the breeze. Um, was that intentional to kind of like give the viewer uh, an idea of the elements on Block Island that the people like live with every day? Or is that just coincidence? I mean, it's, if I'm being honest, it's just coincidence. But uh, but yeah, I wish we had more control over that. This is one the first movie that we really started trying to control more of the wind. So there's like a lot of scenes where you have like people, you know, obviously like every abduction scene, the wind is whipping and everything. And it's literally something right off screen with just a gas powered leaf blower, just like blasting, you know, the <laughs> our actors in the face. But it was, it, was, it was super fun. But in that moment, no, that was just, that was just the wind. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you. Yeah. Um, now, I was curious um, how you got Jeremy Holmes involved. Uh, I know he lives in Vermont and, and he works out in New York a lot. So, so I know he's from that area. 
uh, did did he come in and uh, get the part because you guys did some casting in the New England area or or New York area, or did did you already know him from from prior uh, items? I didn't know him, but I was a fan of his. I mean, like he's one of those guys that you see in like Mr. Robot and House of Cards. You're like, God, who the fuck is that guy? He is great. Uh, and then he was in a friend of mine's film, The Ranger, uh, and just like knocked me the fuck out. I mean, he's he makes that movie. He's so much fun to watch. Uh, and so one of our producers on the film, actually two of our producers in the film, Andrew and Ashley, uh, they they did The Ranger. And so they knew Jeremy and they're like, hey, I think Jeremy would come up for you know, this part of Kurt. So he snuck out on the weekend doing House of Cards and came up and came to our you know little part of West Greenwich in this a uh, shitty little RV and was down to do the role. And I was so excited to meet that guy. And I mean, it's, he was in and out. He was there. He killed the role and, uh, and then we're moving on to the next thing. And so, but I, I love that guy. I want to put that guy in everything, but there's so many ideas that Kevin and I have now that we're like, like, how do we put Jeremy Holm in this? Cause that guy would kick ass. So yeah, he's the best. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's good. All right, Sean, what do you got? Uh, I was going to say, like, because I always hear the stories about working with kids or animals and, like, what's just the most challenging doing a movie? Uh, what did you find in your process? Well, I would say the – well, first of all, Matilda Lawler, who plays the kid, is, like, so wildly incredible. That kid is so talented. Uh, and since she's on the movie, she's done a million – she was on Broadway. She was on, like, the, the Tony Award-winning – Broadway show, The Ferryman. I want to go see her. She steals the show. She's on a Disney Plus uh, movie now where she stars. Like, the kid is just, like, blown up. It's, like, a way bigger career than the rest of us. And she's just so great and talented. And her dad, Matt Lawler, plays one of the cops. Uh, and he's just such a lovely guy and so talented. And the whole family is just the best. So it was – that was we just got so lucky in casting with, with Matilda. So that wasn't hard at all. But when it came to, you know, animals and stuff, we've got this dog in the film. And it's one of our friend's dogs, a super sweet dog. And she's like, oh, he's great. You know, he can bark on commands, no problem. And so shows up on the day we get to shoot. And this is one of those movies where, you know, we shot principal photography in 15 days. There's no time. You know, you're getting like, actors are getting like two, three takes and we're moving on, right? And so everything is moving, 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 tight, tight shit. And this dog shows up and sees all the lights, sees all the crew. And it's kind of like, what the hell is going on over here? And we're like, all right, speak. And the dog's like, <laughs> giving everybody this kind of confused look and we're like oh shit because if the dog doesn't bark the movie doesn't work there's nothing worse than a friendly looking dog and a mean bark right it's just it's, everything falls apart and so i'm sitting there looking at monitor and kevin and i are sitting there like i don't know i don't know what we're gonna do this dog's gotta bark how do we rewrite this to make this work because kevin's like i got it i got it kevin goes outside and he's looking at this dog and he's right behind camera and it's humiliating being a director because you got to do whatever you got to do to make that happen. And he's staring at this dog and he starts barking his face off at this dog. <laughs> and everybody in the crew is looking at Kevin like, what the fuck is this guy doing? And he's bark, 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 bark. And he gets on his hands and knees. Bark, bark, bark. <laughs> and everybody is like howling laughing because it's so fucking embarrassing. All of a sudden, the rest of the crew now is barking at this dog trying to get the dog to bark. <laughs> oh, everybody bark, 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 bark. And the dog is just totally confused, not not fearful at all. And and Kevin comes back in, and it's, and it's fucking 45 minutes of this. So we're just, I mean, my main actor is like, this dog is getting more time than I get for my takes. I'm like, I'm sorry, man, we just got to get the dog to bark. So Kevin comes in, he's like, I don't know what we're going to do. It's just not going to work. Neville then shows up and he goes, give me a second. 
and he goes out there by that fucking camera. And Neville brings up this primal growl from the depths of his gut. And he just stares at his dog and just... The dog loses its fucking shit. Starts barking its fucking mouth out. Everything from that dog barking isn't without like five minutes of Neville growling at the dog and the dog loses his mind. And we're just like, okay, we're going to use this for every shot of the dog barking that we need. But yeah, it, it, it's a fucking nightmare for gonna think. It's 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 impossible. That's <laughs> a great story, though. It's an awesome story. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what do you got? <laughs> um, how far is Audrey from land? How, how far does she live? <laughs> Because I, I said she's dead. I said she's dead. There's, there's no. Oh, oh, oh. Well, well, when she, when she, at the end, at the end, because in that water, um, and you're five miles or eight miles away from Westerly, Connecticut, or eight miles away from Block Island, you're done. What yeah. is she done? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's fucking hilarious to bring that up because it's Kevin. And I say that all the time. Like. She doesn't have good odds, you know. <laughs> she could make it. She could make it. Yeah, yeah, she's a strong swimmer. I hope. Uh, it was, yeah, it was a conversation we had a ton because we were like trying to figure out. You know, we were like, I want it to end on like at least like a hopeful note, right? Where you're not just like filled with despair. So we're like, okay, she comes back down. You don't know what happened to her. You don't know if she's going to do what, what Harry did, right? I mean, uh, and she's in the middle of fucking ocean, right? And so then we're like, well, maybe... We, we debated this for a while. Maybe in the last few frames of the movie, you'll see a motorboat, you know, arrive behind her or something, you know, passing past. And hopefully, you'll, and then we're like, oh, I feel like that kind of cuts you off at the news. So like, I think it's better just to keep it vague. You don't really know. Maybe a boat sees her and she survives. Maybe she doesn't, but you know, yeah, but I agree with you. Yes. If there's, if there's no boat out there. I love the ambiguity, but I had to ask. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that was one thing that that no one debated when, when i brought that up i said she's gone and, and everybody just went yeah yeah i guess right <laughs> oh man uh johnny what do you got um how'd you um the, the piles and piles of fish was that just what was that i mean was that real or not or how'd you do that uh, that I mean, so, okay. store, that right? was super. <laughs> that was a very expensive grocery store trip. They're like, "Wow, I'm in a big pushback." Yeah, uh, uh, it was hard, man. We were trying to figure out what we we're going to do because we knew this is going to be, you know, a small budget film. And I'm like, "How the fuck are we going to get all these fish?" And so I'm telling you, what Kevin did for probably a year was he was on this website. I think it's called like End Times Prophecy dot something. Whatever. It was like some kind of like conspiracy theorist dude who was just tracking every mass animal die-off. And it's actually pretty grim because every night you go on the, or every day you go on this website and there's like one or two mass die-offs, you know, uh, 200 cows die in Ireland and, you know, a thousand fish roll up on the shore of New Zealand. And you start, and it's grim. And this person's just marking each one down. And Kevin's hope is maybe at some point there's a mass fish die-off where we need it to happen. You know, maybe somewhere in New England or the Northeast it happens, we can shoot some stuff. Uh, and so, and I'm like, good fucking luck. There's no way. And so, every, you know, he's like, oh, fish. That's uh, in China. Oh, fish, fish. Oh, it's in Australia. You know, it's, it's never nearby. But it gives us a lot of material to talk about in the film, you know, where, you know, Jim Cummings' character is talking about all these fish die-offs. They're all real things that we read from this website. And so, 
eventually we're on the first season of American Vandal and we know we want to make this movie. And it was like the last week. And all of a sudden, sure enough, you know, it was two, it was two tons, 20 tons. It was a fucking crazy amount of fish that died in the Hamptons, which is across the Block Island Sound from Block Island. And they all rolled up on shore. We're seeing pictures of this shit. And we're like, oh my God, this is fucking it. This looks like Block Island. So at the end of the week, we jumped on the first flight out of LA. We went all the way up for, to, uh, to New York. We went to Rhode Island, steal my parents' car, drive to the Hamptons, take a ferry across the way, bring a 4K camera and our like old jib and stuff. And we shot as much footage as we can. We show up first and there's no fish anywhere. Like the cleanup crew did a fucking amazing job. And we're like, oh, we're screwed. Oh. We turn a corner and the smell of dead fish is overwhelming. And we look at each other, this big grins on our face, like, oh, we hit pay dirt, baby. Oh, we found gold. <laughs> and we go off into the marshes and all of these piles of fucking dead fish are out there. And we're up to our ankles and fucking dead fish. And we're just grinning like kids. We're like, get our camera out. We're getting all these different shots that we can use for the movie. And it's not until we get up back on the ferry and we're drinking a beer on the ferry and we stink like fish rot. And everybody, nobody will sit close to us. And we're looking at each other like, that was a pretty fucking gross day. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty gnarly. But a lot of the B-roll and a lot of the shots that we have in the movie is, is from that day and all those real dead fish. That's awesome. That's tremendous. I love that. That's <laughs> awesome. Um, now, I have a question for you. Uh, you mentioned signs, and as we know in that film, uh, the aliens want, uh, seem to want to take over. But the aliens uh, that, that you have here seem more like the Betty and Barney Hill ones where they just want to experiment and, and check out on people and whatever. And and you guys came up with this this great line, and, and it's, it's, it's done earlier in the film, but then it's overlaid at the end uh, about how uh, people um, – you know, go in and, and uh, check on animals and that animal sacrificed themselves for our research, even though, you know, the, um, the fish didn't necessarily volunteer. So um, I was wondering where you guys came up with that idea, uh, that that whole speech, I guess, um, because it was phenomenal. It was thanks awesome. So much. Thanks. Guys. My favorite part of the movie. That. Oh, thanks a lot. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's not really an indictment on brain biologists at all, but it's more of just like the thought of, you know, I mean, what if you know, every time you see an alien movie, it's always like they want to steal the earth and steal our resources and murder all of us. And they're like, well, what if they were just here to just check us out? Because I think that's what we would do to another alien species. I think we just want to see what's going on. And in doing that, you know, you test what they eat and what they interact with and whatever they touch and bring to their mouth. And, and, uh, and you try to figure out a way to do that that doesn't disturb the community at large, you know? So if you can control another animal to do that for you and bring this up, then why wouldn't you, right? Uh, and so it was just this kind of big thought of let's let's make the let's not make malevolent aliens. Let's make aliens that are that aren't bad guys. And and in a lot of ways, to me, that's kind of what the whole movie's about, right? Sometimes the the horrible thing that fucks up your whole family, that destroys your whole life, is not some malevolent force, right? Sometimes things happen to people that mess up their lives, but it's it's not because it was the intention of the thing doing it, right? And I and so in a lot of ways, I, to me it, it it pairs with you know Tom Lynch, their father dying, right? Death is just something that happens to all of us. It's it's not like some evil thing that always happens, but it ruins your life, and it's so hard to get through, and it's. And it can it can tear a family apart. Uh, 
And and so that was kind of something that we wanted to talk about. You know, sometimes these things that don't have horrible intentions can can rip you apart and and and, and change your life forever. And and so that's I think was just something we were excited to kind of dive into. Yeah, nice. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, Sean. Sean, what do you got? Keep, 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 keep taking my questions, Phil. <laughs> 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 um, great question, though, and a great answer. Uh, I was going to say that another thing that I really liked was your use of your effects, and especially like the sequences when things are going batshit crazy, and <laughs> just like, what was the process of being able to make that happen and make it seem seamless? Well, I'm, I'm so glad you you. Died. Good man, because it was so terrifying. Because Kevin and I haven't done effects in our other work, you know, and this is kind of the first, the first big shot at it. Um, and a lot of it was basically like, okay, I mean, a lot of the ideas, right? But like, some of this is wire rigs, right? Some of this is, uh, you know, just like super simple shit that people have been doing since the beginning of making movies, right? We're like, well, if people have been doing it forever. We can't fuck it up that much, right? That's <laughs> got uh, and so. A lot of these ideas were like, uh, you know, and people, you know, when we first pitched it to VFX places, they'd be like, well, you got to CG everything. You know, you got to CG all of the stuff flying in the sky. And I'm like, well, what if we just, you know, took plates of them and then just, you know, just, just fucking composited them in or, or ripped them off the, the ground with a fishing line? And people look at you like, that sounds terrible. And I'm like, I think we're going to try it. <laughs> so that was, that was the big plan. A lot of shit is as simple as you can think of it. That's how we did it. Like, even at the end, I'm sure it's obvious, but, you know, the, the lower cabin of the boat is is a built set. So whenever they go into the lower cabin, they're going into the set built. And then, of course, and by the end of the movie, when they're stuck in the ceiling, we just flip the thing over. Our genius production designer and set construction guy, Eric Jude and uh, Daryl, they all they all put this thing together. And we just got leaf blowers on my sister's face, and she's you know the wee hours of the morning. She's like, I got this fucking leaf blower right <laughs> I'm like I know but it looks so great just hang in there uh and so a lot of this stuff is just like the simplest version and then you go to VFX people and you got no money and you just beg them to help out a lot of the VFX a lot of the finishing touches Kevin learned how to do himself on aftershock or on uh, after effects uh and I, I was just really impressed and thrilled with what he was able to do but then on the other hand you got other effects that that don't work you know you think that they get close there's one scene that people brought up a bunch where you know when harry is going underwater and all of a sudden there's this like big dust up and, and you're not really sure what happened and the intention of that scene is all right well they suck them out of the water right and so let's how do we do like a dust up of the, the ocean floor to kind of make it look like you know oh this big event happens and then so many reviews are like you know the one thing i don't understand is there's like a big uh squid ink block that that happens to him and once i heard that i was like fuck that totally looks like a squid ink splotch you know like it's, it's one of those moments where like you you try to dial it in you try to get it right some things work and, and some things don't but um, for the budget we had I'm, I'm really thrilled that i mean the first few iterations of our vfx i would show it to friends like what do you think they're like I think you got some work to do. <laughs> so there was a lot of versions of this that very much didn't work. And I'm, I'm pleased that, uh, that it didn't throw you guys for a loop because uh, it was yeah long, long road getting there for sure. Um, Barrett, what do you got? What would you say is your favorite part of the movie? Uh, that's a great question. Um, I, 
you know, I'm such a sucker for the end. I just get really excited. I mean, for every movie, it's like there's there's usually kind of a sweet spot where the third act has sort of begun. Uh, this is a little different because we didn't really get to play at film festivals because of COVID. But our, one of the last movies we worked on, there was this moment where you're like, once this happens, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not cringing to the movie anymore. I think we've got the audience. And now it's just the ride and we can just, just have a blast through the finish line, you know? Uh, and with this movie, like when the, when Harry takes the dog, I'm pretty sure we've got the audience, you know, we're, we're through the figuring it out parts. We know what's going on. You're here for the ride. And then I, I just get really excited with that, that final climax, you know, I think because we didn't know what we were doing and it was like, we didn't even have test shoots for those effects. So the fact that they, I think look relatively decent is a really exciting moment for, for us. Uh, and the monologue at the end and all that kind of stuff. It just, I just feel like I'm, at, I, I, I'm at peace with the movie at a certain point towards the end. And so the end is probably my, my, my happiest place when watching the movie. Uh, Johnny. Um, well, I just wanted to make a, a statement. I guess my question, but uh, I, I love the sound of the movie, by the way, that like, um, I don't know how to describe it. I'm like the ultimate amateur, but like that reverb sound, that very metallic, yeah. I thought that was absolutely tremendous on a couple of parts that really just, you know, made it like extra, like scary for, I guess, you know, uh, but what's next for the McManus brothers? What are you guys working on? We're a few things, but I'll, if I can speak to your that sound, thanks so much for saying that. It's the scariest fucking thing you can do, right? The whole movie is about the sound and the script. It's like, you know, we're like, everyone's like, I can't wait to hear what that sound sounds like. And I'm like, yeah, me too. I had no idea what it's going to be. And so we're in posts trying to figure it out. And, you know, you read about Steven Spielberg making the the sounds of the dinosaurs, you know, in Jurassic Park. And it's a, it's a few different animals kind of combined. And I'm like, oh, we'll do that. So we throw some animals together and it's like, it just kind of sounds like a tiger and an elephant. That doesn't really sound like it. You know, we're just doing a terrible job at figuring this fucking thing out. <laughs> And so eventually, like, you know, Kevin takes the mic and he's like, I think I, I got this. I'm going to do this. And so he sits or my editor and I were in the backyard and Kevin takes the microphone and he's doing this guttural, like, kind of, kind of roar. And we come and we look at him and we're like, this is the most embarrassing thing I've ever seen. I can't believe you even tried to do this. This doesn't work at all. <laughs> you know? And so eventually we're like, all right, but you got to come up with something fucking better than this. And then Kevin is at home. And he's with his newborn baby. She's, I think, five months old at this point. And she's just working out her vocal cords, right? And she's kind of these sweet little coos and these kind of little little noises that are very sweet and high-pitched. And they're so high-pitched, Kevin's like, I think if we slowed this down, you wouldn't lose it. And so he takes out his iPhone and just records his sweet little daughter making these little coos. And he slows it down to 15%. And then you've got this like guttural monster kind of bellowing in the, in the ocean. And, and it's, it's just that there, there's nothing else added to it. It's just his five month old daughter slowed down to 15% that gave you that like terrifying horror sound. So she's really the monster of our movie, which is kind of exciting. That's uh, really cool. <laughs> isn't that rad? It's cool. Yeah, yeah. I was super excited when he found it. I was like, Oh my God, this actually works. We're not fucking screwed. Um, but yeah, but then yeah, we're working on some other stuff. We're uh, we're in a writers' room right now that hasn't been announced, but uh, but I'm excited about. And we've got a few other movies that we are dying to do next. Um, one is sort of a sci-fi revenge flick that I am just itching to do, and uh, 
yeah, well, hopefully we'll have something uh, filling up the pipeline pretty soon. That's 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 definitely where we're aiming for. Nice. Now um, I have a question for you about uh, Harry. Um, basically, you know, we've all seen Close Encounters and, and the Richard Dreyfuss character and how everybody outs him and and thinks he's crazy and all this other stuff. And yet, by the end of the film, he is right in a sense, and and he uh, gets. Um, his day in the sun, so to speak. Um, but Harry, unfortunately, doesn't, um, and he's right. But problem is, is for him, is that it's a tragedy. Was that intentional to make the film a tragedy, or was it really the the overlaying uh, speech, which is the aliens just look at us as we look at, you know, ants and 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 bees and things. You know, it's a little bit of both. I mean, you know, I think the idea is that, like, you know, the the horror and the, the heartbreak that happens is not intentional by the aliens necessarily, but it is a tragedy. You know, I mean, what Harry had to do is get out of his own way. You know, he's a stubborn guy and he doesn't want to move from the island, but he doesn't, you know, he wants to do things his way. And that's the thing that ended up not only causing his demise, but also causing... uh this horror and his close demise for his niece, you know, and potentially the demise for his, his sister. And so, yeah. So in a lot of ways, I think it is a tragedy. And then the hope there is, well, hopefully, you know, Audrey survives. Hopefully somebody finds her out there and the family can get together and, and they can do better. But yeah, uh, you know, in a lot of ways it is a, it, it is a tragedy. It's a sad story about this guy who couldn't help himself. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Uh, Sean, what do you got? Uh, just as a person who enjoys musical scores, uh, what is it like going through the process of working with someone to to score your film? It's the best, man. Uh, Paul Koch is our composer. He uh, is just he's so he's my my cousin's cousin. He's basically my cousin, uh, and he's a guy I just love. We went to high school together. He kind of independently of us made a career out here, you know, composing stuff. He was on the team that composed like Scandal and a bunch of other uh, TV shows. Um, and we got to working together and he's just such a delight to work with. The stuff that he brings, he, he, A, is just wildly fucking talented. But he's also just, I, I don't know how to speak, you know, music. You know, I'm, I'm just sitting there, I'm like, you know the part that kind of sounds like, da, 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 da. you know that part? He's just like, so kind and open about how inarticulate I am. Uh, and then he, he brings all these really interesting instruments into the mix. He loves collecting strange instruments. On the last movie we worked on with him, he was, uh, he had this like saw that he was playing for a lot of it. And, you know, he, he likes the experiments and his whole point of view is really trying to get the mood across. And I think so much of what works about the movie is his score. And I think that without it, I, be we'd be in trouble i mean it, it really there are moments where i'd be like you know in this scene it feels like it's not as scary anymore and he's like oh i resolved that part you know two minutes <laughs> earlier i'll keep that going and then he keeps it going like oh now it's now it works yeah i mean he's he's the magician behind the curtain for sure he's wildly talented and i just i can't imagine working with anybody else he's just so good awesome it's amazing how music it's amazing how music can make things work better and just it's so important oh god yeah yeah i mean it's yeah. just like yeah. they can say they can save your ass i've, I've had this other composer that i, I love too that we worked on a bunch of stuff uh, previously there's one scene from some college movie we were doing 
and the scene doesn't work at the end. It's like a, there's like this big lull, this gap. And I was like, this part doesn't work. And he's like, I'll make it work. And he just added all this music. And all of a sudden it's a big crescendo. And I was like, oh, that looks great. And it, it's not, it has nothing to do with us. It's just the composer saving our ass. And that's, that's kind of the secret of movie making, I think. Let the composer save your ass. <laughs> now, since this film was uh, a lot of outdoor filming and stuff, did you guys have to do a lot of ADR? Because, like, like John mentioned, you know, the wind and stuff that that must have been hell trying to get get that without doing an ADR. It's it's insane to say that we did no ADR, and wow. our sound recordist was another one of those like miracle workers. So we're on a fucking top of a ferry while it's traveling. It's so windy up there. And I, we were shooting the thing, and I'm like, for sure, we're going to be in the ADR booth, like, trying to make this work. And we listened to the uh, the quality of the sound he got. It's perfect. And so, yeah, it's, I, yeah, we, I'm, I cannot believe that we did none. Uh, but Andre is just, yeah, he's such a talent, and uh, we're fucking wildly lucky. Nice. Now, um, we, we've kept you for about an hour, and uh, we, we didn't want to, we know your time is, is very, uh, uh, well, all of our times are important, but um, you, you were kind enough to, to come on and, and uh, let us uh, ask a bunch of questions about, that we had about your film. But uh, I, I guess to, to wrap up, uh, where, where can people find you on social media? Do you want to uh, let us know anything else? You know, John asked the question, you know, what's up next? But some of your older things, you mentioned 13 Cameras, which was a great film, and then there was a sequel. Oh, uh, what, and then you mentioned Cobra Kai, and that's like a huge show right now. So uh, why don't you let people know where they can find you and other things that you'd want them to know that you've, you're participated in? Yeah, I mean, those are big ones. I mean, we're Kevin and I are both on Twitter. We're both at I'm Matt at McManus, or no, what the fuck am I? Uh, at Matt McManus Bros. Kevin's at K McManus Bros. I think something like that. Uh, both on Instagram, but uh, but yeah, like 13 cameras, the thing I'm super proud of. Um, our first movie, Funeral Kings, we got back from our distribution company uh, like just the past six months, and so we're gonna be putting that back online. Um, and American Vandal is something that I'm wildly proud of. Uh, you know, it's obviously it couldn't be further from Block Island Sound. But uh, but if you like dick jokes, check it out. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, you know, I mean, it's, I just so appreciate you guys checking this movie out. It's really so close to my heart. And I just, uh, you know, spreading the word means a lot to us. So so thank you guys so much for uh, spreading the word and, uh, and being so great about it. Thanks. Uh, Barrett, you had a question for him. That you yeah, to could you do one final thing for us? Can you? Um, yeah, sure. Can you say you're listening to darkdiscussions.com and then say your name and anything else you want to say? <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. Uh, let's try it out. You're listening to darkdiscussions.com. This is Matt McManus. <laughs> I don't think anybody's going to know who the fuck I am. It's not going to help. <laughs> no, no, you, know, you know what you do? You do What you do is you go, uh, you are listening to Dark Discussions, and I'm uh, Matt McManus, the director of uh, you know, of Black Island Sound, producer of 13 Cameras, uh, you know, and so on and so forth. Stuff like that. You sure. Know? So, yeah, yeah, I'm looking for it. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. All right. Awesome. You um, <laughs> This is Matt McManus, one of the directors of the Black Island Sound and 13 Cameras. Or, no, I guess I shouldn't say that I'm a director of that. Let me try it again. This is Matt McManus, one of the directors of the Black Island Sound, and you're listening to darkdiscussions.com. Perfect. Perfect. Thanks. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, of course, man. Yeah, thanks, man. Uh, well, right. thanks so much for having me, guys. It's so great. It was uh, great meeting you guys. And thanks again for watching the film. And it's always good to meet some New Englanders. And 
some guys stuck in Virginia and Canada, you know? It's, uh, <laughs> Canada. It's daddy, hey, I'd rather be stuck in Canada. Hey, hey. Than Virginia. <laughs> Me too. Me too. God knows. No, no, I don't want to be. I don't want to be. You guys Canada. are welcome. You seem like nice people, so come on up. <laughs> no, I, I, my, my, my ancestors left Quebec, you know, and they came down in New England like most French people. Anyway, um, I, this movie, uh, if you have anything else that you, you ever noticed, wanted to promote, what's that? I was going to say Black and White Sound, I don't know if you know this, but its, it's premiere was at Fantasia in Montreal. Canada is such a close part of our hearts because of Fantasia. They like that and 13 cameras. They've like been such a platform for us. So, I, yeah, I love that fucking place. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, if uh, there's anything else that you ever want us to, to promote, uh, just let me know uh, through Twitter or whatever. Uh, we'll we'll uh, put up uh, release notices or, or notices on the website. Um, or if you ever want to come back on to, to let us know uh, what else is coming out, just let us know. Thanks, man. We'll get you back on. That means so much. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah, keep in touch, guys. And uh, I look forward to listening to this one. It's, uh, it's all put together. Sounds good. Yeah, thank all you right. We'll do. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll let you know. Uh, so. Yeah. All right, guys. Thank you. Yeah. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Okay, Bye. Bye-bye. All right, so uh, that was good. All right, so let's do the the wrap up here now. Um, all right, one, two, and three. All right, so uh, that was uh, Mr. McManus, uh, one of the co-directors of Block Island Sound. But before we give our thoughts on an interview and some of the interesting things that you have to say, uh, we never got Sean or Johnny's uh, opinion on the film. A little like two to four mi- mini review. Uh, why don't you go with uh, with Sean first? What do you got? Well, I was going to say. Uh, Phil, you were nice enough to invite me back and mention this film. And I was like mentioning my worry when you had sort of initially spoke about it, about just because I'm not a fan of animal stuff. But uh, uh, I was really just impressed with just how well it played, as I said, with them, you know, manipulating the expectations of what was going on, because I had like 10 different ideas of what was really going on. And, you know, it was so satisfying. And then to get the end, and you're like, oh man, they did you, they gave you all the different points, you could see it, but they still made it, you know, they still wove it around in the story enough that you 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 could guess and you could have an opportunity to go through that process. So I just really enjoyed it and really grateful that I had a chance to watch it and then be able to chat with them today. Yeah, yeah, that's one thing that's kind of cool is that, you know, you get to see these films that everybody else gets to see on Netflix or wherever, and we're lucky enough to actually uh talk to one of the filmmakers uh so that was kind of cool uh you don't get to do that often in, in the real world and uh podcasting uh, we get to do that uh johnny what about yourself well i saw this movie when it first came out um you know yeah, way before way before me and barrett and before yeah. we did the podcast so that's pretty cool yeah and then of course you know phil you said that you're gonna um have you know uh mr mcmanus on the on the podcast so i watched it again actually a couple of nights ago um and you know how i love a slow burn movie and this was absolutely a slow burn i love the cinematography of it i love the ocean shots the aerial views of you know the harshness of the the island and just you know the the cliffs of the the beaches and just all that is you know block island and you know the the new england coast typically um i really um enjoyed the um the, the overall feel of the movie, it felt like uh, the eeriness of the island. You could just, you could just like almost any horror movie could have been shot in, at that location and it would have worked. It felt like, 
Um, definitely loved the, um, the, the score that the, the sound was, I thought absolutely tremendous. Um, and the ending I thought was, was very good. I mean, just the way she just plopped in the ocean at the end. Um, I just absolutely just, just loved it. And the, of course I picked up on that too, the vagueness. I'm like, well, where is she? I mean, how far out in the ocean is she? Is she going to die or not make it or whatever? Um, I had to ask. So, <laughs> no, I thought that was an excellent question, Barry. But um, I love the movie. I think um, Neville Archambault was was excellent. He was like he seemed very gruff, seemed very like scary as a guy. And then you know, obviously the the downward spiral of um, you know Harry's character and um, just overall, I really really enjoyed the movie. Um, it just it's just my type of movie. Those those slow burns just. You know, I really enjoyed it. And I don't know if you guys picked up on this. Did you guys feel like um, 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 the the sisters, what's her name? It's escaping me right now. Audrey. 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 Did you feel like she like almost kind of looked like Giselle Bunchen a little bit? Or is it just me? Like had that or Steffi Graf or something that very like, you know, European look or something very. What do you guys think of that? Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she, yeah. you know, she, she, you know. Uh, striking uh, features. Very striking. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's true. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sure any, anybody that says she looks like uh, Giselle, that's a, that's a, a pretty good compliment. I'll tell you that. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah. It was it was a pretty good film and and uh, very atmospheric. And uh, that was a good point there, John. Um, so uh, let's go around and discuss our, our thoughts on uh, some of the things that he said. Uh, Barrett, what did you think uh, the interview in a whole and and what we got out of out of uh, out of him? Oh, we got some of the greatest stories I've heard in an interview. He just had some awesome stories, and that it's a real highlight of this interview is, are some of the stories that he told us about the filming of this movie. Um, and he was a pleasure to talk to and very genial and enjoyable. So it was very nice having him on. Sean, what about yourself? Yeah, I really appreciate the, like, you can get the idea of how passionate he is about it and it genuine passion and when he's sharing the stories and different kind of background stuff like it really you no know, it like totally enhances then going back and watching the film again knowing those kind of what was happening in the you know like with the dog story and stuff like, <laughs> give you a whole different perspective on it so so that was great but it just said yeah, it was really he it was really a fun interview so i really appreciated that him taking the time there or giving the time for us to be able to do that Indeed, yeah, yeah. For me, uh, I, yeah, I, I liked uh, uh, some of the items that we discovered, like, like, uh, um, uh, the, you know, he was trying to talk about um, the collapse of a family, put the things back together, but is uh, completely fails at it because of, uh, you know, that individual just isn't the alpha of the family and and can't do it and 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 things like that. So I thought that was interesting. Um, I. I did like uh, how how uh, he 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 thought the um, the winter was was a you know even though it was Block Island it's it's part of his home uh, but he and he's very familiar with it so he knows in the winter how uh, I guess uh, drab and eerie it can look and um, so so I thought that was kind of cool that he brought that up and let us know how how 
how uh, they chose to purposely film it uh, off season um, and things like that. So yeah, so I, I thought I thought it was uh, very informative and gave us a lot of insight into um, uh, where where they were coming from. Uh, John, what about yourself? Um, you know, it's interesting in life when you uh, he seemed like a very down to earth, very super nice guy. So you know, in life, a lot of times when you're talented, which he obviously is, him and his brother, and probably the whole family for that matter. And they seem like genuinely nice people, like great things happen, right? I mean, it's just, you know, I would expect really good things to happen um, to the McManus brothers and family, you know, down the road. Uh, bigger things, not that good things haven't happened, but I mean, even bigger things. Um, it's, you know, of course, in my mind, I'm thinking about his brother out there, like basically barking at this dog, trying to get the dog to bark, which was hilarious. And then, of course, I can picture everybody laughing at him and him thinking like Francis Ford Coppola is not doing this, is he, you know, like, <laughs> or, you know, or whatever. But, you know, the, I just love the inside view of, um, you find out it's some of his film on Cape Cod. We didn't know that, uh, so, you know, uh, leaf blowers. We didn't know that, uh, you know, maybe assumed or whatever, but it just, you get this inside insight of, uh, the behind the scenes stuff. I just think is really cool. And, I really appreciate him being so open and just so genuine. And, you know, it just seemed like he was our, our old buddy within a couple of minutes that, you know, I don't know if you guys got that feeling too. Oh yeah. 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 So, so yeah, yeah, that, that's, a, that's all, all good, good uh, points there. Um, yeah. Just the, the little things uh, behind the, the scenes. Uh, and it was interesting. You mentioned Coppola, but to be honest, Coppola, before he did The Godfather, he did the same thing. He was working on Roger Common films and him and Jack <laughs> Nicholson and all those guys were, were like budgets smaller than this budget for this film. And, and, and they had to do the same type of stuff. So, um, and, and Roger and Corman where, made a lot of careers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and look where, look where Coppola went, right? I mean, yeah. you know, like uh, Adam Wingard just directed Godzilla you know, and, and King Kong film. And, and, you know, he came from small indie horror films. And then we have, uh, the guy that did the, the latest Spider-Man films. Uh, he, he did clown, you know, that, that low budget horror film from a few years ago that Eli Roth produced. So, so you never know, you know, the McManus brothers may be lucky enough to get a, a, a huge budget from Hollywood, but maybe they're not that type. Maybe they like working alone and doing their own stuff. Um, a lot of, a lot of, uh, people, don't want um, the hands of other, you know, big producers on, on their their work, and and you know the, these guys directed and wrote, and then they had their their sister star in the film, so it was truly a family affair, uh, which is uh, pr pretty pretty awesome. Um, so yeah, um, any, anything else anybody wanted to bring up before we start wrapping up? Anything? If I don't want the thought that uh, Neville Archibald looked like Kevin James a little bit, like a crazed Kevin James or something, or is that, am I seeing things? Well, to be honest, if you've seen the movie Becky uh, from last year, where Kevin James yeah. played a serial killer, sociopath, uh, neo-Nazi guy, kind of, kind of, yeah, you're right. Kind of reminds you of him, yeah. Yeah, same type of same type of uh, facial hairs and and all and and the the head hair on top. So yeah, if you watch Becky, uh, which is a upcoming episode that I mean Barrett recorded on the Dark Discussions podcast. It's the one I'm editing right now, Barrett. So that's in theory oh, gonna cool. be the next Dark Discussions podcast, which we recorded back in like May of twenty twenty. <laughs> uh, so uh but yeah, yeah. Uh it makes sense, uh John, what you said. So uh anybody who's seen Becky that they, they see a crazy Kevin James and and Ashenbo kinda look like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anything else? Anybody else 
Anything else anybody want to bring up? Anything? All right, I think that's good. So uh, last couple of things. Uh, first off, uh, Sean, thanks for uh, joining us once again. It's always good to have our Thank you. our uh, Canadian brother up north uh, join us every so often. I uh, appreciate it. And uh, John, uh, thanks for joining us again. So far, uh, we haven't released any of the episodes you've been on, which are uh, actually, is this your second episode, John? Because you were supposed to, oh, no, third. no, you did Marla third. Yeah, yeah, right. You were supposed to do four, but you couldn't make the Marla in interview. Uh, and then, uh, uh, um, it was good that uh, um, at least two of us, me and Barrett, were on the original uh, recording, which was uh, episode 483, the Block Island Sound, Dark Discussions podcast, released on April 16th, 2021. Once again, episode 483, just go to darkdiscussions.com, where you can uh, search for a Block Island Sound, and you can listen to that episode right off the website, or you can just find it uh, wherever a podcast is found. Uh, you can email us at darkdiscussions at AOL.com uh, and give us your thoughts. You can also uh, just press the contact us form on, or I should say the contact us link on the website which will do the same thing as email without having to send you directly to your email browser you just type in uh, the boxes and, and press the send button and it comes to us just like an email um also um you can find us on facebook at the dark discussions podcast facebook group and of course darkdiscussions.com which is dark discussions news network is a website that is updated daily with multiple uh, things where if you're a fan of genre or art house movie news uh it's a website you should check out at least once a day uh, so that's pretty much it. So uh, thanks once again for listening. And with that, uh, Barrett, why don't you lead us out? Thanks again for listening to Dark Discussions. Uh, join us next week where we will have something new and different. All right. And uh, one more thing, Barrett. Uh, do say the same thing, but say thank you for listening to Halloween Between Psychotronic Views on the Dark Discussions News Network. Thanks for listening to Halloween Boutique Psychotronic Reviews on the Dark Discussions Network. Join us next week when we have something entirely different. All right, so uh, before we wrap it up, uh, let's uh, see if there's any news or what we've been watching that anybody would be interested in that listens to this podcast. Uh, why don't you start with you, John? You mentioned that you saw some uh, film at the, at the theater. Uh, yeah, at my home theater downstairs. It's already uh, available for VOD, the film. Yeah, correct. On Amazon Prime, you know, I paid the nineteen ninety nine and watched uh, Nobody with Bob Odenkirk. Uh, you know, you know him from Better Call Saul and Break Breaking Bad. Um, I found it to be absolutely tremendous. I loved it. Loved the soundtrack, by the way. One of the best soundtracks I can remember in a long time. Right, right, and, and so that's uh, kind of like a, re a revenge flick type film, right? Yeah, it's it's got John Wickness about it. See what I did there? Witness. Yes, yes, there you go. So, all right, so so that would be a high recommend. Uh, uh, so that's cool. Uh, what about you, Barrett? Have you seen anything that uh, – actually, I, I think you saw the, the Mortal Kombat film. Is that right? I, I did. I, I actually tortured my wife with it um, the night that it came out on HBO Max. Um, it was I, – I love the death scenes, and it visually is pretty well done. Um it's just not great. I won't say it's a great film, you know, like I think I enjoyed the original Mortal Kombat better, but the death scenes in it are spectacular. They're great. <laughs> the fight scenes are really good and really well done. 
Right, and, fo- and folks can either see that at theaters, which is playing pretty much anywhere theaters are open, but it's also available on HBO Max, right? Yep, and the, like I said, the death scenes are really good, and they're very graphic. <laughs> right, okay, yeah, so it's not for the kiddies, even though it's a video game-based film. Gotcha. Uh, what about you, Sean? Have you seen anything that you wanted to bring up, mention? Well, I, I'm a Marvel fan, so Disney Plus has been two for two for, so far in their series that they've released this year with WandaVision, and I just finished wrapping up Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and I like that they're completely different in the same universe, but they're both fun in their own different ways, and I, I'm really looking forward to uh, when Loki comes out next. Nice. Is that going to be a movie or is that a TV show? The it's another movie? series that's on Disney+. Plus. And is it going to star uh, the it's same Tom actor? It's Tom Yeah. Oh, Tom wow, Hiddleston nice. and uh, Owen Wilson. Oh, wow. So, uh, sp- speaking of uh, major stars doing TV shows, uh, Barrett, you're actually watching a, a television series right now on HBO starring Kate Winslet. What's that all about and what's it called? Uh, Mayor of Easttown. Um, it is about a small town detective in Pennsylvania um, investigating a murder and basically her life in that town. And it is really well done. And the second episode, I mean, I love the first episode. The second episode's even better than the first. Uh, that's where it's at right now. It's coming out weekly. Um, and you can catch it on, again on HBO Max. On Sunday nice. nights, the new episodes come out. Nice, nice. Oh, yeah. can I add one more thing, too? Yeah, yeah, please, Sean, go ahead. Sorry, I forgot to, I was also another being a comic person, uh, Invincible on Amazon is awesome. I'm absolutely uh, loving it. Is is that uh, part of like DC or or it's, Marvel, or is this like Skybound? Movie? It's like well, yeah, it was kind of like its own offshoot thing. I think it's Skybound was the, the publisher, and it's okay. uh, Kirkland who did Walking Dead. Mm. Oh, Robert Kirkland, and yeah. uh, I remember getting the comics. Uh, when they were they first came out and like it was such a fun read and just very colorful and i like how they've been able to put that into the actual uh animated uh series and the cast is really good they have lots of awesome uh voice actors and actresses so uh it's i just watched episode seven on friday and just love it so if you're like comic stuff and like more kind of the looking at a gritty look at things it's it's pretty good nice now uh uh today is april 28th 2021 uh and on may 7th is the big release at least in the united states i'm not sure about canada um for resident evil the the new video game uh i, I think it's called resident the village evil. the village that's it yeah I, I anybody it. It pre- cool yeah, yeah. Have you pre-ordered it by any chance? No, I don't. I'm not next-gen uh, system person at this time, but absolutely love the visuals and love the idea behind it. It looks like it would be really fun. It actually is supposed to be a uh, sequel, direct sequel to, uh, or direct prequel, one or the other, to the uh, the prior uh, Resident Evil. And uh, I forget the name of that one. Uh, yeah, and there's like one of the main characters that's involved in it was from, like, I, forget, I can't remember which one it was specifically, but... Like I've like watching some of the different videos and like the demo videos that people have on YouTube. It's it looks awesome, and I just like the I don't want to ruin it for people, but just some of the characters that they are the horror things that they bring in that are not just the the zombie stuff. 
Yeah, they, well, they, we can we can talk about it because it's it's in the trailer. There's a and and in the demo that people can actually probably start getting out uh, to play. I think the the PlayStation folks can, which is uh, the the very bodacious, gorgeous vampire villainous. Uh, yes. <laughs> Yeah, and so uh, her character has is, is already caused uh, a huge uh, following and, and talk on social media. Uh, <laughs> cos- cosplayers are already uh, doing it, uh, and um, and so forth. There's, there's fan art. Uh, it's, it's unbelievable. Uh, so they may have made an iconic character even before the game even came out. Uh, so it'll be curious to see uh, how she plays out in the game and how much you see her in the game. And I like that it bring in the werewolves too, so it's cool. So you get a little bit of that that flair too. So it looks really fun. Indeed, indeed. My whole problem is buying a next gen console. I mean, my yes. cur- my current Xbox is in perfect condition. So I'm like, yeah. well, you you, oh. you first of all, you can't buy the next gen consoles anyway because they're so wow. That's true. Yeah, backordered by six months. And second of all, uh, the game is available uh, on uh, the 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 prior generation, so Xbox One. Oh, okay. Version. Yeah, so you can you can buy it. I almost uh, pre-purchased it uh, two days ago, but uh, I'm going to wait until I get a little closer to May 7th um, and stuff. Uh, any further things anybody wanted to bring up uh, that they've watched or played or read that are genre-related or art house-related that uh, people would be curious or interested in hearing about? Or any news, for that matter. All right, that's about it then. All right, sounds good. The island is a totally different beast this time of year. What's going on down at West Beach? Well, we got a bit of a fish problem. My strange activity, lately, man. You been on them dead fish? What about Andy Gould's catch a few weeks back? Dead fish? Birds. Something's wrong. Something with the island. You know it, I know it. I just... I want to get to the bottom of it. You've got to get him away from there. Pretty soon, someone's going to end up hurt. Emily, listen to me. It's only going to get worse. Somebody's going to end up dead. You hear me? Harry! 